episode 70, Thursday, May 20th. This is the Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. Spurs Grizzlies. Do y'all know what a pop timeout is? Right? A pop timeout. It's one of those real quick timeouts. Like, oh, y'all on some bullshit today? Let me stop this real quick. It could be like 30 seconds into a game. When he didn't use a signature pop timeout to start that game, the way the Grizz got out and, and, and just pounced on him, I thought that was a bad sign. I was like, okay, okay. But you know what? To tell you the truth, at this stage in Pop's career, I don't really blame him. You know, like Jakob Pertle and Lonnie Baxter aren't exactly giving him hope, right? You know, so he didn't get the early Pop stoppage. He kind of just let the Grizz roll his team in a elimination game. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. You see Jaron Jackson Jr. hit a couple early threes and then Dylan Brooks with that statement dunk in transition. That it was kind of shocking, right? Like he took off from outside the dotted, I believe. I didn't know he had that type of bounce and extension. That was kind of like, oh, is this shit over before it began? And so the Grizz go up 20 real quick. I mean, it was, Spurs couldn't do anything. It was, it was kind of shocking. And uh, it looked like it was going to be a repeat of that Pacers-Hornets game. Like everybody was anticipating these play-in games, feeling like, oh man, these are going to be game sevens, right? And it was like, oh man. Second quarter starts, and the well quickly runs dry for Memphis. I've talked about it here for a while now. They've got so many hot and cold shooters, so many maybe shooters. And so it was a 17 to nothing run from the Spurs to start the second quarter. And to me, it wasn't really that the Spurs were playing better defense. Memphis was just missing shots. Now the Spurs kind of cleaned it up offensively and found a rhythm offensively, but it wasn't like they put their clamps on Memphis. I think Memphis just were missing shots. Two things to note moving forward for the Grizzlies. Grayson Allen, who had been injured, tried to give it a go, played five minutes in that second quarter. He looked flabby and sick. He was falling all over the place. Like He, he doesn't look like he's going to be able to contribute for them. And then the other thing I thought was interesting was Brandon Clark was not in the rotation. He got a DNPC as well as Justice Winslow, who hasn't been in the rotation. So it's interesting, some of these guys they've invested in and you would have thought on paper would be kind of a big part of what they're doing at this point, didn't even see the floor. How much money did DeMar cost himself? Did he shoot himself out of 20 million last night? I mean, shit. You you keep hearing teams that would like to add him in the offseason, right? New York, Boston, maybe Charlotte. I don't know. I mean, you know, Maybe this will actually help because DeMar may realize, okay, at this stage in my career, I need to be a six man. And maybe he goes to one of these teams with that type of contract because I got news for y'all. If if someone's going to give him a max or near max at this stage in his career, they're going to live to regret it. Like that will be, look, I won't be shocked after you saw like the Hayward contract and some of these contracts we see every summer. Again, you know, it's what is he willing to accept? Maybe he goes to you know, an Orlando or some team, and then they give him for more money. Or if he goes to a New York or a Boston as a six man and he's paid as such, I think that that would be an ideal situation for him. But he's such a, a an odd dude. I don't know what he wants. I, I've heard the rumors that he wanted to go back east, even though he's an L.A. kid. Um, but yeah, he just shot miserably. He, he, he was getting to his spots. He just didn't, you know, I'll, I'll shoot him a little bit. Like, I don't think that DeMar's fallen off a cliff, especially with his size and his game. But 
I think time and time again in playoff like atmospheres, we've seen him come up short. And so, you know, at this stage, he's best suited as a, a, a number three option at best. Now, Jaw had a much better game than we saw the other night against the Warriors. 26 and 6 on 8 of 20 shooting. So still not that efficient. But you know what? You know who he should model his game after? Jason Kidd. If I were advising Ja, I would sit him down and I would say, listen, you know how you can separate yourself from these other young guards that are coming up with you? Hint, it's not your shooting. <laughs> it's not your shooting. It's your potential ability to defend. Because, I mean, when you're that athletic, you can become a great defender. Now, I know he's got to get stronger and that will happen naturally. But that type of athleticism it can translate to the, the defensive end if he puts his mind to it. And that, to me, could be the separator for him because he has the creativity, the vision to be a great playmaker. If he can become a two-way player in the mold of a Jason Kidd, kind of a, a pass-first defensive point guard, I think that that's honestly his best path. It's almost the opposite of what I was saying with Tatum the other day, right? Like, don't look for your offense. Do everything else and just score where you can. Because the reality for Ja is he's never going to be anything more than a maybe shooter, which makes him a volume scorer. So I think he should just, again, be, focus on becoming a better defender and playmaker. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. took six shots last night in 30 minutes, and he made two in the first four minutes of the game. So I, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'd tell him, look, Go lead the league in assists and make an all-defensive team. That's your route to the all-star game. Because he's never going to be able to match a Steph, a Dame, even a Trey as a score. He's just not. That's, that's not his skill set. On to Big Valanchunas. You could argue he's their best player, right? 23-23 and 23 with three blocks. Didn't he have Jakob Pertl in Toronto as a rookie, right? Before he was traded out of Toronto? Because you could tell. He owns him, right? There's that little bro thing going on. But, I mean, I think Val tries to little bro everybody, right, when he gets in the paint like that. Um, but let me ask you all this. What are the chances Jaron Jackson Jr. is never as good as Valanchunas is right now? 50-50? 60-40? That's not Jaron Jackson slander. It's Valanchunas love. He's a beast. I, I, y'all, if y'all been listening, I've been saying, hey, man, give him the ball. Like, he's the guy. They should run shit through him. And you see what happens when they do. So the Spurs battle back. It becomes the close game that we wanted it to be. For me, I don't think Memphis really played better. They shot better. And you watch the Spurs team. Do they even take open shots? I mean, I guess you got to create them first, right? But the, the amount of contested mid-range shots the Spurs take I don't know how they even were in this play-in game, to be honest with you. And you look at the talent out there, it's scarce. It's such a far cry from what that system used to be. But, you know, they battle all the way back and actually take a lead in the fourth. I want to shout out, what's the kid, Keldon Johnson? Because I was shitting on him earlier in the regular season. He had some stinkers against the Warriors, but I can see it now. He's very physical, nice role player for them. Thought he was a big part in the comeback. Patty Mills hit some, some crucial threes, right? And so they briefly take the lead in the fourth quarter, and then Dylan Brooks took over. Much like it looked like he was going to do against Golden State the other night before he fouled out. Dylan Brooks, man, 
I feel like this dude's just going to work himself and will himself into being an all-star, right? He's just not going to take no for an answer. Not only that, it looks like he's, you know, slanging the pipe to Doris. I mean, she, she couldn't control herself on the mic last night about Dylan Brooks, but, you know, he took over in that game. You know, I think the question with him is, clearly he wants the ball, he's got the juice. Is he going to become a efficient enough scorer to warrant giving him the ball as the takeover guy and being like a lead scorer? Like, that's a bit of a stretch, right? But this young Memphis team, that's one one issue I see with them. They, they end up getting it done here. You know, spoiler alert, Memphis wins it. But I do question their execution late in games because of the pecking order. You could argue Jaw should be third on that list behind Brooks and Valanchunas. But I don't know if Jaw knows that. You know, he, I think he had a nice floater late, but um, the pecking order isn't clear. It's for a reason, right? Because there isn't one guy that's clearly the guy. Um, so it's nice to have that depth. But again, it's also a problem because it's not clear. So we'll see how that works out in this big game Friday. Warriors, Lakers. I think we knew the key matchup was Draymond on Anthony Davis. And Draymond simply told him, look, you can call me daddy. Uh, I'll be your daddy. That's right. Just like daddy. <laughs> and I don't know the numbers, but Draymond probably gives AD more trouble than anybody in the league, right? I mean, how many times have we seen this in the playoffs now? If you count last night as a playoff game, is that like the third time that he, he's just, you know, owned him? So Warriors come out hot. I think there might have been a little element of playing with house money for this Warriors team where they're not supposed to win this game and then they know they've got another shot. Whereas if you're the Lakers, you're going to get killed if you lose this game, right? So I thought the Lakers were a little bit tight and the Warriors were loose to start this game. Loose in a good way. You know, they were dialed in, but I thought that they were playing free. As always, full breakdown of this game will be up early this afternoon on my Patreon. And to be honest with you, I'm going to save the good stuff for that. But here are some big picture thoughts. Lakers were not taking advantage of their size. Every time they got a switch, they just didn't move it fast enough, right? Their offense operates too slow, and it was allowing the smaller warrior defense for their rotations to catch up, right? They get the mismatch on Anthony Davis. Here comes the double. They swing it. They swing it. And by then, the defense is rotated. They just weren't operating crisp enough. And then on the other end, you saw their size really struggle to rotate out after the second pass for the Warriors, in particular to the corner shooters. So finally, second half, they go AD at center, and that opened up things for them, right? It really did. Um, I know y'all want to talk about the refereeing and the whistles. To me, it was bad. It was bad both ways, though, right? I mean, I think both teams have arguments, maybe the timing is what we can talk about when the whistles were bad for the Lakers early, when the whistles were bad for the Warriors late. You know, that's a tough pill to swallow. Really, it's just a tough pill to swallow to lose on a prayer like that, right? But uh, if, if we're talking about the calls and lack thereof and when they were made, I think to me the worst one was that West Matthews Jr. flop. I think there was about a minute 30 left in the game and he flops on a Draymond screen. Not only was it just a huge possession in the game I think that they have to address that play it should be right under the pump and jump 
when they go to look at what the refs should do and how they should referee games each offseason, they've got to address that because we see it too often. A guy comes sprinting into a screen, trips, and then it's a foul. But I think it needs to be judged by intent. You, you know, they're talking about LeBron, the eye, poke, and all that. Like when they say, what's the intent? Did they play the ball type of thing, right? That needs to be taken into account with that because do they actually have intention of getting over the screen is what I'm saying, right? Because Wes Matthews had no intention of it. He just came running into Dr- Draymond and falls over and it's a foul. You saw Anthony Davis do the same damn thing six minutes before that. And so again, after the pump and jump rule that needs to be adjusted, I think that the NBA needs to look into that because it's just silly. Look at the intention of it. And, and I'm not even going to lie to you. It, it's been a, a, a rough... Uh, 12 hours here for for all Warrior fans, right? Because you lose in a game you feel like you could have won. You lose it to a LeBron dagger around some suspect calls. That's that's as tough as it gets, right? And so again, I'll have the breakdown and we'll talk all about the Warrior side of things and some of the mistakes and all that. Let, let's talk about some of these matchups coming up here. Lakers, Suns, that's what's happened now that they won that game. I think everybody assumes that this is the better matchup for the Lakers as opposed to the Jazz. But you saw the Warriors' small ball really take advantage of that supersized lineup. I'm not so sure how playable Drummond is now that LeBron's back, right? Remember when they got Drummond, like Drummond and LeBron, this is they've played, what, like three games together? The spacing, it doesn't look right now. For the Suns, can Crowder play the Draymond role on Anthony Davis? Remember, Crowder just spent an NBA Finals guarding him. He has some familiarity with him, and he's not going to do as well as Draymond because, again, no one has. But Crowder can also give you three, four, maybe even five threes if he's feeling it on the other end and, and in turn make Anthony Davis kind of have to stay home on him and come out and challenge his shots. It goes without saying Aiton's got to stay out of foul trouble, right? I think in in the previous Laker matchups, he's just Aiton is so susceptible to fouls because it, a lot of the times it's his lack of aggression that gets him in foul trouble. Commit. Either come over and, and go get it or don't. He kind of half steps. And when you half step, you find yourself in no man's land. And that's where some of his his weak, cheap fouls are drawn. But I think for the Suns, when you look at their stretch fours, Kaminsky, Sarge, and Cam Johnson, who should be ready to go. He's coming back from a, a sprained wrist, but Cam Johnson's going to be key. They didn't have him in that late season matchup. If they're hitting their threes, I think this is going to be a much longer series than people think, man. I I really do. I think it's going to go six or seven. And the problem for the Lakers is they've already been burning the candle on both ends here the the last two weeks of the season, right? Like trying to avoid the play-in and and trying to just make the playoffs. And so, yeah, they may make it out. Again, I think it's going to go six or seven, but they're going to be leaking oil everywhere. It's not going to be the year for the Lakers. So... I hope it's going to be a long competitive series. I'll be rooting for the Suns out here because I think that that would be if the Suns could pull it off and it's going to come down to their perimeter shooting. If they can really take advantage from the three-point line, that's how they'll win the series. Obviously, CP and Book have to be big. A concern for me would be as a Suns fan is how well KCP historically has guarded Devin Booker. But if the Suns could somehow pull it out, I think it could launch them deep into these playoffs because how much confidence would it give a young Suns team to knock off the defending champs in LeBron James? And then you look at the next matchup, whether it's Portland or Denver, you got to like their chances. They can beat either one of those teams. 
as currently constructed. And so now you could find the, the Suns, a very hot, young, confident team headed into the Western Conference Finals to see, you know, a Clippers team or something like that. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, getting way ahead of myself here. We haven't even finished the plans. Warriors-Grizzlies rematch Friday night. I don't want to jinx anything, man. My gut says the Warriors blow them off the floor. But if you look at the history of game sevens or elimination games, they're always very close, right? Because everybody leaves it out there on the floor. They're not saving anything for the next day. At least that's in theory what you should do. And I think from the Warriors perspective, I imagine the game plan has to be they've got to go at Brooks and Valanchunas early and often. If they can get them in foul trouble, you know, that that game the other day, right? Brooks fouls out with six minutes to go and the game was over after that, right? He is clearly their leader. And so if they can get Brooks in foul trouble, Valanchunas in foul trouble, they can run away with it. So that should be the game plan from Golden State. I'd also say let Ja be a finisher. Let him try to have a big night because even if he does, it'll be an inefficient one. So I wouldn't overreact to Jaw getting into the paint. If he can hit 10 tough floaters, fine, do it. Don't let Valanchunas, you know, go 18 of 20 from the field. So that'll be Friday night, do or die for both of those teams. Whoever wins that, the Utah Jazz will be awaiting. I don't know why people, people, it seems like people are, are, operating the under under the assumption that Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are just going to show up right. <laughs> I mean, you miss that amount of time. I just I don't know, man. I think the Jazz are quietly in trouble regardless of who they see moving forward because your backcourt has missed how much time? You think they're just going to come back and just pick up like nothing happened in the playoffs? <laughs> we'll see, man. This is the Hezzy brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, Joe.